0: Have you ever read a story and you just made, you were trying to figure out what was going on in the story and your question that keep running through your head was, how did this happen? Maybe it's a story that involves some sort of a, a tragedy and you're reading the story or you're listening to it on the news and you just keep thinking, how in the world could something like that happen? Maybe it's a story that's just bizarre. I saw a picture of this uh, several years back when we lived in another town. And somebody was riding his bike, this guy was riding his bike, and literally he had a gutted deer on the back of him. He's riding his bike, that deer's head is above his head, and the four legs are this way, and his back was this way, and he's carrying this deer on his back while he's riding his bike. Now maybe a better question is not how did this happen, but why did something like that happen? I have no idea. It was the most bizarre thing I'd ever seen. Maybe it's, you know, another story that just surprises you. It's, it's a scandal that comes out about somebody that you know or somebody that you've admired, and you think, how in the world could something like this happen? And so it's this question that we wonder about various things. How in the world did something like that happen? And we're in a series of messages right now about David. He was known as a man after God's own heart. That's what the New Testament tells us about David. He was a man after God's own heart. And we're talking about what made him a leader worth following and what does that mean for our lives today? And so we took to look at, so far, he, we, sh- we saw him as a young man. He really learned humility. God promised him that he was going to be the king of Israel, but he waited for that promise to be fulfilled. He didn't take it into his own hands like many did in those days. David also depended upon some loyal friends around him to give him counsel and guidance. One of those was Jonathan. And it was really important in his life. And for all of us, we need to have friends in our lives who are willing to speak into us and tell us the truth that we need to hear. And last week, we took a look at this moment when David made this great decision. He had the opportunity. King Saul had been pursuing him. It was causing him just all this misery in life. And King Saul was in front of him, and they were in the back of the cave, and he had this moment, and he made this great decision. When he could have taken him out, he didn't. And we were reminded last week of this important statement. In order to be a person of character, in order to be a leader worth following, you have to do the right thing at the right time for the right reason. And so I hope that that flowed in your head all throughout last week. But today, we get to this point in David's life, in David's story, where we see that David was anything but perfect. And we ask ourselves, how could this happen? Is this even the same David that we've been studying or that we've come to know, the great warrior uh, Goliath, that we read and that, that are sort of a balm to our soul? The man who made a great decision and didn't take King Saul out when he had the chance. Up until this moment, David has never last left a, uh, lost a battle. In every field of conflict, he's had a victory. But today, we're going to look at this painful moment in David's life. How he got there, how he felt a temptation, so we can learn from, from it for our own lives today. So let's pray as we get started. Gracious God, help us to learn from your word this morning. Speak to our hearts, Lord, as only your Holy Spirit can do. And help us to hear for each one of us what you would have for us this morning. We ask this in the precious name of Christ. Amen. So between the age of 17 and the age of 30, David is on the run from King Saul. We talked about that last week. And finally, Saul and his son Jonathan are killed at the hands of the Philistines in the battle, and David mourns for them. And so finally, at age 30, we come to this sort of pinnacle moment in David's life as he ascends and he takes the throne of Israel. And we see this simple scripture in 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 4, this simple statement. It says, David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned for 40 years. He was this amazing king, the greatest king in all of Israel. He reigned for 40 years. And if you take a look in scripture at First and Second Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, you will see that there are very few kings who, who even get close to reigning that long because they have all sorts of squabbles and things that happen. And so he becomes this mighty king over Israel and Judah. He conquers the city of Jerusalem. He defeats the Philistines. He brings the ark to Jerusalem, and he unites the country. With his headquarters in Jerusalem, David finally has this limitless reign that he had been promised by God. God said to him, if you will obey me, you will be a great king, and your children and your descendants, you will always have somebody on the throne forever. God said, you simply have to trust me, and you have to live according to my will and commandments. And so we begin to see this promise of being God's anointed leader. He's this mighty warrior. He goes and defeats all the nations, all of the enemies, and the nation is at peace. David's accomplishments are marvelous. He takes the territory of Israel from 6,000 square miles to 60,000 square miles, from 6,000 to 60,000 square miles. And he um, puts all these <clears throat> trade routes together and all these various things so that the nation has never seen the kind of wealth and economy that he's able to bring. He unifies the nation under God so they become a spiritual people they are called back to God, and he, he's a king, he's not a priest, but he allows the priests to do all of the things that they're supposed to do and to honor God with their lives. And so the nation has this time of great prosperity. Between uh, 2 Samuel chapters 5 and 11, we see nothing but a success story. I mean, talk about fulfilling all of your campaign promises, right, in our culture, right? This is David, man. He just exceeds everything. David is at an all-time high. He's fresh off a series of great victories on the battlefield. He's reached the peak of public admiration. He has incredible money, incredible power, unquestioned authority, remarkable fame. Everything in life is going in a great direction. Except, it's at this very point where he also becomes the most vulnerable to temptation. And it's interesting. Because our most difficult times, perhaps, are not only when times are hard. You see, adversity is a very interesting thing. Because when we run into times of struggle, when life is hard, it somehow calls us back to our roots. And it's those times that we sort of dig into our faith and we we recognize that we need God in a way that we don't when things are going well. And when David was in, in the caves when he was being pursued by Saul, his faith grew and his trust in God grew because it was a really hard time. But now he said, all of this success, all of this prosperity, everything is going well, and that's when pride can begin to strike in one's life, and it did, for, it did for David. He sort of let down his guard a little bit, and that's when things started to have trouble for him. He had just received uh, this promotion sometimes in our lives when we have everything going well and, and we're growing in prestige and fame and significance. It's time that we have to keep our guard up to because it's really important. Dave is ne- David is now mid-career, age 50 or so. He's had 20 years of all that success that I've just mentioned. And we get to this day, our scripture for today, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1. And it says this. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. And they destroyed the Ammonites and they besieged Rabbah. But David, he decided he was going to take a break. He remained in Jerusalem. And one evening, David got up from his bed. He walked around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing And the woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. David, instead of going out to battle like he was supposed to, he's just hanging around in the house. And he decides to go out on this beautiful evening, and that's when he gets into trouble. He was bored. He had time on his hands. And had he been off where he belonged, off with the king, and all the fighting that they usually do, perhaps this episode would have never occurred. You see, sometimes our greatest battles, they don't usually come when we're working hard. They come, perhaps, when we have some leisure and we've got some time on our hands when we're bored or when we're exhausted. That's when sometimes temptation can seep into our hearts and our minds and our lives. And so we have to be mindful and aware of that. David, in that moment, as we're reading this story, I wanted to be able to say to him, uh, just just in that moment when you're out on the palace roof and you're looking and you're thinking about something, what should he do? Run. Get out of there. Don't even begin to entertain this. Because the reality is, in some temptations, we need to just run. Just get out of there. Don't stay. Don't fight. Don't try to rationalize it. Just get out. And I wish in that moment that David could have just... Heard somebody's voice, somebody who said, get out of there. Don't stay. Don't let that desire burst into flames. Because what happens? Instead of turning around, he lets that temptation fester in his life. And he forgets. He forgets everything that God has done for him. He forgets God. He forgets that he's a man of God. He forgets everything that he's learned and the trials that he's been through. And he decides, I don't care about all that. I want this woman's company right now. And as we talked about last week, in those moments, when your heart starts beating fast and you have a decision to make, it's best in those moments to take a breath and to step back and not do something in the heat of the moment. Last week, when, when, Saul, when David's heart started to beat and Saul was in the front of the cave and he was behind him and he had the moment to do something, David wisely stepped back and said, I'm not gonna do this in the heat of the moment even though I wanna get rid of King Saul. And in this moment too, he needed to have taken a breath and walk inside and get out. But he didn't do that. And I want us to talk about three things that we can learn about dealing with temptation at David's expense. And so the first one is this. We have to think about and know the times that we are most vulnerable to temptation. Temptation comes at us from everything on the planet. And for all of us, that temptation is going to look and feel a little bit different. Maybe for you, it's a temptation for that commercial, that thing that you really, really want, and, it, and it, just, it just haunts you. Maybe it's for you, it's, you know, late night on the computer. Maybe for you, it's the, the diet that you really want to be on and all the temptations that come with this time of the year, the candy and the goodies and everything else. Temptation comes at us from every kind of angle on the planet. When are you and I most vulnerable to temptation? How does that come in our lives? Maybe it's when our routines get disrupted and we have more time on our hands. Maybe it's when we disengage from normal rhythms like being at church and being in our small group. But temptation comes at all kinds of shapes and sizes, and they can hold us captive and get us in this cycle and this pattern that's really hard to break if we're not careful. I was thinking about um, temptation and I went back to a story that I had read a little bit ago. It was actually a true story about, um, in India, they were having a real hard time with monkeys. Believe it or not, they were having a hard time with monkeys getting into the house and, and biting them and stealing food and it just became a real hassle in this one particular village. Do you know how they decided to capture these monkeys? They used an old-fashioned trick They use the old kind of milk bottles. Do you remember these, the glass milk bottles that would have kind of a bottom, and it would kind of go in like this and then have a neck out like this? used to be that we kept milk in, or they'd have a little um, thing like this where it kind of went down. So they would put this milk bottle on the ground, tie it securely to the ground, and put a simple piece of candy inside of this milk bottle, a lollipop, something like that. And do you know what happened? These monkeys, they would be attracted to this piece of candy in the milk bottle, go in there, stick their hand in, hold on to it, and what would happen? They couldn't get their fist back out when it was stuck with the candy. And so this monkey would sit there trying to push and pull to get through this narrow end of it, It could slip their hand in, but because they were holding on to this candy, they couldn't get it back out. And that monkey would sit there trying to fight with this, even while the captors were coming to get it. The monkey would not let that piece of candy go. And the monkey would literally be caught with his hand in the lollipop jar. And I was thinking about this with sometimes with temptation for us too. That sometimes temptation grabs us because it's something that looks wonderful and we just have trouble letting it go temptation, right, is just short-term enjoyment that threatens our long-term goals. If I eat this candy bar right now, what is it going to take me later to have to work this off? For kids, right? If I do my video game playing now, I'm going to have to have all of this homework that's going to have to happen later. We could go through a hundred scenarios about whatever that temptation is for you. If I do this now, what will happen to me later? Lord, help us deal with temptation because it happens to all of us in various contexts. And it's in those moments when our thoughts, our thoughts are not bad, but our thoughts can become actions which get us into trouble. And so it's in those moments when our heart is beating fast and we're trying to decide, oh, this little white lie, it won't really matter that much. And we have the voice on one side that says, it doesn't really matter. Nobody will know. And the voice of God's Spirit on the other side that says, is this something that you really want to do? It's in all those moments that we have to know and understand when we're most prone and we're most vulnerable to temptation. Now, in David's life, a second lesson that we can learn is that one sin often can lead to another. Back in 2 Samuel chapter 3, we see that all, David was sort of amassing his fortune along with a number of wives but when would it be enough and of course that's a different culture in a different time but he kept being driven for more and sin sometimes is not just a sudden action it's a process that culminates when we keep crossing the line and we keep telling ourselves it's okay it doesn't really matter it's okay it doesn't really matter it's okay it doesn't really matter and we end up doing something that we think why in the world did I do that And it's because we've convinced ourselves over and over again that it's okay. And David, if you read this whole chapter and perhaps know the story, it's just one thing that happens after another. His night with Bathsheba ends up with a pregnancy that he tries to cover up by sending her actual husband home. And he doesn't go home because he's a man of honor. And so then David sends him to the front of the battle where he's killed and deception turns into tragedy. hopefully, if we, you know, eat a piece of, a couple of pieces of Halloween candy, you know, we're probably not going to end up in too much trouble. But just a reminder to us that sometimes this path can be difficult. James chapter 1, verse 13 reminds us of this. It says, No one who does wrong should ever say, God is tempting me, because God never tempts us to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else either. But temptation comes from the lure of our own evil desires, and these evil desires lead to evil actions, and evil actions lead to death. So don't be disappointed misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Just a reminder not to get on that path where one thing leads to another can lead to another. We need to stop, take a breath, confess it before the Lord, and move on. And that's the third lesson that I want us to bring to you at David's expense, that confession and repentance are what help heal a wound. But depending on how deep and how severity of that, it may not erase all the scars. Again, we're talking about small things versus large things. When we're honest and when we admit our wrongdoing, Christ is always there to forgive us and to help cleanse us and to heal us and to make us whole. Like a good surgeon, God comes in and can set things right even when we, when we don't live up to all that God wants us to do and to be. But it doesn't mean that all of those scars will be erased or will be taken care of immediately. It still has consequences, as we know, in our lives. The hope that we have, the great hope that we have, is our daily dependence upon the Lord. To say no in those moments of temptation, whatever that is for you. To stand strong, to hold on to the peace and the trust and the faith that we have in Christ. And to know that he is the one who will get us through in every single moment. For the first 50 years of his life, David walked in the integrity of his heart. He kept close to God. He kept learning from God. He kept trusting God. He kept working on his faith life. Except for a a few things, most of David's young adult years were years of triumph. But the tragedy came in the last 20 years of his life, and this one moment, this one decision that he made, began sort of this whole different trajectory, For the rest of his life. He struggled with family issues. He struggled with his kids. He struggled through all of those different challenges. And so God begins to heal him. God forgave him and still used him, mistakes and all, to bring about the greatest good the world has ever seen, and that is Jesus Christ. Because God is always in the redemption business. Having a heart for God doesn't mean that we're perfect. None of us are perfect. It means that we keep our hearts sensitive, that we keep close to God, that we take care of things when they're small. And we offer ourselves to God each and every day. Where are you most prone to temptation right now? What is that for you? Where is the enemy of your soul trying to take you and I down? Is it when you get overtired or run down, are you more prone to discouragement or lashing out in anger? Are you falling to temptation in the computer? Are you compulsively buying something that you really can't afford? Are you perhaps tempted to to, cheat on a test or an exam because you haven't studied or to copy something directly from the internet thinking nobody will know? Temptation comes at us from all angles. Be aware of it. Know what those places are. And then figure out how to break that cycle that sometimes keeps us just doing the same thing over and over again. And sometimes we need help to get out of that cycle, depending on how deep we are in something. That's okay. That's what I'm here for, other people are for in the body of Christ. But it just means that we need to stand strong and to confess it to God and ask God to wash us clean and make us whole and new again. Because that's what he longs to do. To be there for you and me every single moment.